In this episode, some tips for interview format podcasting. This is the Law Podcasting Podcast, where you learn how to use modern media to get your message out and more good clients to your law practice. Here's your host, Gordon Firemark. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another solo edition of the Law Podcasting Podcast. In this episode, I'm going to be talking a little bit about interview format podcasting and why they work and what to do and how to get them and how to make it work well. <laughs> so here we go. Interviews are really a great format for a podcast because, you know, a number of reasons. They, they give you a reason to contact someone that you might otherwise have some, I don't know, trepidation or just awkwardness about contacting. You're not perceived when you contact someone as selling or asking for their business. Instead, you are contacting these thought leaders, these business executives, business owners, whatever, and you have a reason to be in touch that isn't threatening. You're not selling anything. You're not asking them for anything other than the interview. And um, and that is a, a very flattering and, and uh, you know, sort of gracious thing to do. Um, another reason, interview subjects will generally, they'll share the episodes they appear on with their social media followers, and that can help you build and grow your audience and your influence. So you sort of, the, the benefit rubs off on you. Um, the interview format, <clears throat> excuse me, is among the easiest to prepare and conduct. You're engaging in a dialogue, so you really only have to hold up a portion of the conversation while your subject, hopefully if you're doing it right, will do most of the talking, and it's usually on a subject that he or she is already an expert in. Um, when you do interview podcasts, you are perceived as a peer or an equal. You can be perceived as a peer or an equal with the subject, the, the person you're interviewing. And if you're asking smart questions, it will show you are an expert in the area as well. Now, you won't always be deemed a peer or an equal. I mean, let's face it. Uh, recently, a fellow named Mark Maron in his interview um, format show was able to interview the president of the United States. Now, certainly he's not going to be viewed immediately as a peer with the president, but uh, I think it's pretty obvious that Mark is considered an influencer, and frankly, it, it tells us a lot about the influence of the podcasting medium in general. So, um, uh, congratulations and thank you, Mark, <laughs> for for doing your interview with the president, and um, um, you know, fantastic. Uh, finally, interviews can be a little bit like testimonials. If you look at this podcast, for example, you know that I interview other lawyers who podcast uh, themselves. And we talk about why it's beneficial, why it's great. And you know, I'm evangelizing. I'm um, no secret about the fact that I have a course that I've created that teaches people how to uh, how to make a podcast and how to launch and, and build a, a law podcast. And so, by talking to other lawyers and sharing their stories and their you know their their challenges as well as the the wins, um, we're giving I think a, a very clear picture of what this can be and how effective it can be for people. So. Uh, you know, it's sort of like they're giving testimonials to, if not my course, they're giving testimonials to the medium of podcasting and, and that's helpful. So think about these as different ways and, and reasons why doing a podcast for your law practice or anything could be, could be beneficial. Um, and, uh, you know, if you're, if you're thinking about starting a show and, and you've got, you know, you could interview your clients, for example, you could, uh, you could interview, um, people who have been with your firm, uh, with through successful litigation or, uh, people that you've helped in their businesses over, over a period of time. And, you know, these are great, uh, sources of good 
information. They don't have to talk about their specific legal situations. But um, you know, if you let's say you're a lawyer who who represents food service uh, industry people, and you have you know clients that are in the food uh, processing and the food. Uh, shipping and delivery and packaging and you know, all these different things. You could talk about all these different subjects and provide beneficial, valuable information to other people like them who, you know, again, because you're the lawyer who does that kind of work, you are demonstrating your expertise by sharing somebody else's and that can be very beneficial. So uh, interviews, I think that's a, a great uh, explanation of some of the good reasons to do interviews and uh, and there we go. Uh, next up, I want to talk a little bit about the the actual process of creating an interview show, and, and by that I mean getting the interviews, conducting the interviews, and what to do after. <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> first off, I think you want to decide what kinds of people you want to have on your show. Now, that may be governed by your industry, by the job titles that these people hold. You know, you could, like for me, it's lawyers. Uh, you could decide that you're going to interview chefs if you're in the restaurant business. So you're going to have a chef interview show. Uh, or if you um, handle, uh, I don't know, uh, airplane insurance cases or something like that. Maybe you interview pilots or you interview uh, uh, people from the the air traffic safety industry or something like that. All kinds of different options. You need to decide what is it that you want uh, as the subject matter of your show and what kinds of people you'll have to illustrate those points that you want to make. Uh, you also you figure in, you know, again, the overall game plan for your show and how do these interviews fit into uh, that game plan and, and what aspect of it do they fulfill. Um, as far as getting the actual interviews, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of nervousness and, and caution around asking for something like this. And let me just say, as I, as I alluded to before, people like to be asked for this kind of thing. You're not pitching them your business. You're not uh, trying to sell them anything other than you know, an opportunity to be on your show. And so I would say just ask. Um, Getting past the gatekeepers can sometimes be a little bit of a challenge, especially if a person is a high-level executive in a, in a major company, being you know, sort of a famous person. But it's possible. If you, if you submit your request through their channels, it eventually will make its way to the decision makers. Uh, and you know, we'll talk about how to ask in a, in a minute, but the point is just ask. People are gracious about this kind of thing. It's, it's a stroke to their ego to be asked to be on a podcast. Um, even if they're used to being on major media, podcasting is, as we've seen with the president, he's, we're growing the popularity of this medium. And so, um, you know, it's, it's great to, to be asked and people love it. I know I like to be asked to be on other people's shows. And, uh, I think if you've ever been asked to give a, a speech or, or a talk to a class or anything like that, you know how, how nice and validating it feels. And people also like to give back and, and talking about their experiences and sharing their journeys and those kinds of things can be very, rewarding in and of itself. And so giving a person a platform from which to do that is a way they can give back and, and enjoy that reward. So uh, asking also depends, I think, on having a good system in place for making the ask and, and frankly, for the whole process. So, so you're going to want to have a system in place. Uh, maybe you have an administrative assistant who helps you with things and that, that person can sort of handle the, the nitty gritty of it, sending out the emails or, or making the calls and tracking down the people's addresses and those kinds of things. Or maybe you have a virtual assistant that you can use uh, to do some of this. I know that that's part of what I give my virtual assistant as assignments is to you know track down people who fit these criteria for my one of my other shows, for example. Um, 
uh, this show, I tend to encounter the other lawyers who podcast. So I'm able to, you know, sort of informally make those connections and then ask through, through social media or through email or whatever. And maybe you have a podcast producer whose job it is, is to produce your show. And if so, uh, then obviously this is uh, one of the things that, that that person should be doing. Now let me tell you a little bit about my system for uh, asking for and, and uh, getting interviews. Uh, as I said, I, I tend to encounter people, at least for this show, uh, on social media. And in my practice, I encounter people in, in the other area, the entertainment law, entertainment industry area uh, for my other shows. And so um, – I, uh, I just sort of track down, you know, their, their contact information. Usually I have it because it's social media and I send them an invitation by email. Now I use, uh, I'm on a Mac and I use an, a, a program called text expander. And I believe there are equivalents to this for, for, uh, I know there are for Linux and I'm sure there is for the, the windows environment as well. This is where you type a short abbreviation and it fills out or completes with a sort of a macro with a lot of detail. So I actually have a snippet that is my ask uh, snippet. Uh, another one that I confirm once they've said yes. Uh, another one that reminds them a few days before the review and uh, the interview, excuse me. And, and a final one that, that I use to say thank you and, and uh, tell them where to find the, the finished episode as it goes live. So you want to be, um, you know, as methodical and systematic about this. It may be that you just have a, a tear sheet, a, a, you know, a, a document that you can cut and paste from. But uh, I, I think these text expander applications are really great for this kind of thing. So my system is this. I, I use a, a text expander snippet to do the ask. And the invitation is I try to be very direct. I, you know, I'm writing to ask you to be on my podcast. And I'd like if, you, if I have a date in mind because I need to fit it into a particular uh, subject area or, or schedule, then I will ask specifically about that date or that week or whatever. But if not, um, I just sort of be specific about what I'm asking for. Please come on my podcast. It'll take this much time. It's here's how we do it and so on and so forth. I like to give a little bit of background and a link to where my show can be found so that if someone hasn't already listened and heard of my show, I give them a chance to get a sense that it is for real, <laughs> you know, and they can go look it up and, and find out a little more about me. You can link to your own bio, your webpage, all those kinds of things. I also think it's helpful to describe the other, you know, who else you may have had on the show to demonstrate that this interview will be joining good company by saying yes. If you don't have enough of that in the, in the backlog of your interviews, then of course just say so. Just say, listen, this is a new podcast I'm creating and here's what its purpose and intent is. And I'm asking you because I view you as uh, you know, a leader in this area and um, you know, you'd, you'd be a, a great uh, person to talk to as a, as an anchor for my new show or something like that. The point is, you know, be a little flattering without being effusive about it and, and be, um, uh, well, you know, you're, you're asking somebody to give you uh, some time, so you, you have to be uh, appropriate about it. I like to describe the subject that I want to discuss in general terms. You know, if a person is a subject matter expert in a particular area, say astronomy, then of course you're going to say, "We want, I want to talk to you about astronomy." But maybe it's a little more specific. I'd like to talk to you about the rings of Saturn. <laughs> you know, and uh, we'll be talking about that for about 30 minutes or something like that. And then you just ask them, you know, to confirm their availability and to make the booking, you know, suggest a few times that would be good for you. Or I always record at two o'clock on Friday afternoon, you know, however you do it. Now I use a calendar tool called schedule once. There are a number of these out there. There's one called Calendly. I think there's a handful of others. These are great because what I can do is in my ask, my invitation email, I'll say, I hope you'll say yes, and if so, we please visit this link and select a few dates and times that might work. 
And that way, um, my calendar schedule is already built into that, and it, it the system knows what when I'm available and not, and it doesn't show those as a, uh, my you know I don't end up having any conflicts because my bookings are already blocked out, um, and it allows the interviewee to select a time that works best for them. I like to ask them to select two or three so that I can choose from what's available, but sometimes they only name one and that that's okay. As long as it's open on my calendar, I'll try to make it work. This is great. It's efficient. It's effective. There's less back and forth. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they, they're choosing something that already works for them. You're making it sort of easy for them. Now there are some drawbacks to this because this process is a little bit impersonal. So if you have that virtual assistant or, or a, a full-time uh, administrative assistant or something like that, maybe it's better to have that person field this directly by email or, or over the phone to schedule the appointment uh, and answer any questions and so on. The other drawback from this, I, I'll tell you, I had, I had a, um, an interview on my show a few months back who told me afterwards that he felt that the scheduling process was cold and I was asking him to jump through some hoops immediately after asking him to do me the favor of coming on my show. And he admittedly, he said himself that he was a bit of a curmudgeon and that this kind of thing was one of his pet peeves, but it is something to think about it. You know, if the people that you're, you're contacting are likely to be that way, then maybe you need to come up with a slightly different approach and, and just, uh, you know, um, I don't know, asking them to re- reply back with a few addresses, uh, a few dates and times. I don't see that as much different than, you know, go to this website and, and, you know, click on a box that makes sense. But anyway, another drawback of using a calendaring system that I have encountered is that you suddenly have an event on your calendar that you weren't quite ready for. You didn't see it coming until the morning of or something like that. So you may not have enough prep time if you're not careful about this. As a consequence, I've built a system uh, that allows me to book some time for prep as well as soon as the the actual calendaring time happens. And uh, one of the ways that I do that is by giving myself at least about 15-minute buffer before the recording so I know at least I can review my notes uh, then. Okay, so once the person has booked and confirmed uh, using that online system or whatever, I like to send them another email that confirms the booking and explains the process. It's gonna, how we're going to connect or where we're going to record if we're doing it in person. It sort of gives them all the logistics. And this, um, this is where it sort of makes sense also to explain your editorial philosophy. If you are going to edit the interview, you should you know say so and allow for it. But uh, in my case, I do these interviews and generally go from pressing stop to uploading the file and the podcast goes live within about 15 or 20 minutes after we're done. So if I, so I say, I, you know, this is a live to drive recording and we don't do any editing unless there's a major technical or, you know, uh, factual faux pas that, that definitely needs our attention. Um, and that sort of puts them on notice that we're not going to be stopping and starting. We're going to talk and we're done and, and it's going live. Uh, but if you are going to be editing, you know, you want to indicate, will they be given an opportunity to have some input in this? And this, of course, makes it a much more time-consuming process uh, to do um, uh, interview shows. But, you know, it's worthwhile. Anyway, once you have um, done that, you want to also be sure to include some detailed instructions and maybe even some sample questions if that's your style. I always ask at this point for my my subject to send me a bio or an introduction so that I can 
you know, help in preparing how I'm going to welcome them to the show. And also a photo, because I always put a photo of my subjects on the website show notes when the show goes live. So I always ask them for that, and I try to make sure I get that uh, before, you know, a few days before at least the, the interview. Now I have to make sure I do some prep. Now, be sure you schedule some time for this because, as I said, that's one of the big surprises that sometimes come. Oh, I have an interview at ten o'clock this morning. I, I don't have. I don't know who I'm talking to. Now, uh, John Lee Dumas, who does a show called uh, Entrepreneur on Fire, has famously said that he doesn't do any prep. He works from a uh, a fairly rigid set of questions that are the same for every one of his interviews, and he's got a very structured format to his interview show. And so his prep amounts to a few minutes right before pressing the record button or pressing the, the call button on Skype. So um, he's working from some notes that have been prepared for him, I believe, by a virtual assistant or, or a show producer. And that's fine if you are a, a skilled and experienced interviewer and you kind of know exactly the direction you want your show to go. Um, but I think that it's better to prepare, have a, build a little time into your schedule, maybe the day before the interview, to do some digging. Review the person's bio and background. Review and read any relevant writings or articles that maybe uh, have been written by them or about them, about what the subject matter of what you're talking about. Anything they've provided you, of course, you want to take a look at. And you want to plan just generally the flow of your show. What is it you want to draw out of this person? What are the takeaways that you're going for? Um, maybe this means putting together a bullet outline, maybe a little bit more detail, um, maybe even formal questions. Although I tend to shy away from too rigidly having written questions in advance. I'll, I'll generally have a, one or two written down that will sort of get the ball rolling and then I try to, to sort of go with the flow. I, I do always, on this show especially, I do always know sort of where I want to go with it. And so um, my, uh, uh, my, my interviews tend to follow the same format from interview to interview. And I think that's important. But uh, I don't always ask exactly the same question exactly the same way. All right. So next up, the day before or the day of the, the interview, depending on the time of day things are scheduled, you want to send one more confirmation email or or call just a real quick hey just confirming we're on for this time this this afternoon and uh, we're going to connect by this and i'll talk to you then i'm looking forward to it something along those lines just as a reminder in case they end up bailing on you <laughs> this actually happened to me uh, a couple of weeks ago this was sort of a, a peculiar set of circumstances i had a show that was sort of dormant it's called uh, entertainment industry insights and uh, a fellow who uh, has just written a book, his publicist got in touch with me um, and uh, asked me, you know, would I be interested in interviewing this person for my show? And after I sort of thought about it, I said, you know, there's a great opportunity to resurrect this, this entertainment industry insights podcast. And so I agreed to do it. And then I got a slew of, of well, not a slew. I got some information from the the publicist who very generously sent me a copy of the book to read so I'd be prepared for the interview. And I did that. This is sort of more preparation than I typically do, but it made sense to do it in this instance. And, and it was a good book too. So um, anyway, the leading up, you know, I'm Twittering and tweeting with the guy who I'm going to be interviewing and we know each other already. So it's kind of cool. And, and, um, and then the day of comes and we're set up for the interview and I get an email from the, from the, uh, the publicist who says, okay, so we're expecting a phone call. Da, da, da. I said, and I had to write back. I said, no, we're going to do a Skype call. I need to know the person's Skype address. And I got some pushback on that. And then I called up and I hadn't heard anything. So I called the, the fellow's assistant about an hour before the scheduled time. 
And uh, I got the Skype address from her and uh, set everything up and, you know, got the things moving in the right direction. And sure enough, uh, 15 minutes before the scheduled time of the interview, I get a cancellation note from the publicist. So, um, you know, better to have confirmed things often and early and and all of that. But uh, even then, sometimes these things happen. Anyway, uh, to make a short story long, I guess. <laughs> anyway, so actually conducting the interview is sort of the next phase. Obviously, you know, you have to work out the technical details of connecting. And if you're using Skype, that's relatively easy. If you're using a telephone, there might be some equipment considerations. There's lots of different things. Or you're in person, great. You know. Anyway, actually conducting the interview is sort of the, the next stage of things. And I find that being a fairly linear in terms of following a timeline is the most efficient way of conducting interview. And it's not always the best way in terms of the subject matter. So be flexible about this. But I find that if you're jumping around a lot in the story of things, um, it can be disjointed and and hard to follow for the listener. Remember the listener, the only thing the listener has generally is the ears, the what's coming in the ears. And so um, you don't see hand gestures showing, you know, where on the timeline things are, you know, those kinds of things don't exist in an audio podcast format. So uh, be be mindful of this. I think most of us lawyers are pretty good at organizing and structuring a storyline, a through line to, uh, to get a point across. So I'm not going to belabor this too much, but I like to start talking a little bit with the, the person about their, their origin, their background, you know, who, who were they at the beginning of the relevant time that we're going to be talking about, or what was it that got them interested in whatever the subject is that we're talking about, whatever, and start with this origin and then take them through their journey and their motivations, their feelings and, and the, the way that their, their evolution from who they were then to who they are now or what they knew then to what they know now. Um, maybe that it's sort of like a, a voir dire of an expert witness, isn't it? Where you're sort of um, taking them through to show that they are in fact the expert that you're putting them on the witness stand to, to testify uh, uh, about or whatever. Um, and then ultimately you, you get to this arrival. Okay, here's what we know. And this is where you really jump into the depth of the subject matter you want to talk about, asking whatever it is that, you know, why did you write this book or what is it you, you think is most important about X, Y, or Z, whatever your subject is. And, um, and then have the conversation and make it a conversation. Um, I think it's important to be present in there and, and, uh, participate in it as a dialogue rather than I'm asking you a question and waiting for you to finish answering. Uh, I think that's important and it definitely shows in the, in the uh, sound and just the general feel of the show. So you do want to have some structure. So it's good to have an outline and like I said, sort of be linear, but you also want to let things flow. Sometimes the most interesting material in a podcast comes from just sort of following the thread that is set out by an, a particular answer. The answer may say, you know, I got interested in aviation safety when I, you know, was learning to fly, but really what got me hooked was one day I was out fishing and something happened and I saw this, that, and the other thing. Well, what were you, you know, talk about the fishing. Why did that, you know, you could go in various directions. And sometimes that's where the most interesting, most insightful stuff comes from. And if you're too rigidly attached to an outline, you may miss that. So again, being present with the answers that you're getting. Um, don't be distracted by trying to figure out what your next question is. This is, as you said, as I've said, a conversation. You want to trust yourself to keep it moving. You go to cocktail parties, you go to dinner with friends, and you have conversations. And talking, whether you're into a microphone or a telephone headset or a computer headset or whatever, 
it's the same process. It should be a flowing dialogue that, yes, it follows a, a through line, but it doesn't have to be uh, rigid or formal. It can feel very loose and comfortable if you let it and trust yourself to ask the right questions next without having to think about it too much. It's sort of like uh, when we were younger and, and learning, you know, starting to date, uh, you would be worried about what am I going to say to her next? What am I going to say next? And um, as you get a little older and more mature about things, you start to realize that, you know, what makes a conversation interesting is what you make it and what and what where you let it go and, and take the interest as they come up. You you don't want to be overthinking things, I guess. Now, as you're listening and, and talking with this person, you do want to be making notes. Um, if a person makes an interesting statement or has an interesting thought that you want to follow a, down, down a path or come back to, make a note of those things. And I find it's useful also to include just a notation of the time code or the elapsed time on my recording device to uh, – to help me find it again if I need to. One of the reasons that I like to do this is that in my episodes, I always include a pull quote from, uh, from my speaker, uh, uh, you know, sort of above the, the player on the webpage. Uh, and I like to be able to, to put that quote up there. And so by being able to recall where it is, I can go find it and get it exactly right and, and uh, be very quick about things. So, go through your interview and then, you know, at the end you want to wrap up with a generous, you know, genuine thank you and, and, uh, gracious, um, you know, uh, ending <laughs> and finish the interview, stop the recording, say thank you and, and sign off from the conversation. And once you're done there, you can proceed with your post-production process. Uh, whether you do that yourself and you're editing or not, you know, that's obviously up to you and the nature of how you're doing things. But, um, uh, I think it's very important to send a thank you follow-up message. Again, I use my, my text expander snippets to do that. I generally do this the day that the episode goes live. Now, if there's a long time lapse between the recording and the day of the, of the live of the episode going live, I'll send a quick thank you right after the interview today. Hey, thanks. It was a great interview. I really appreciate it. I'll let you know when the episode is coming out. But then on the day that the episode goes, does go live, I want to send them a little more detailed message saying, thanks again. Thanks so much for being on the show. Your episode is episode number X or is titled XYZ. And the link to it is right here. And if you wouldn't mind sharing it with your social media followers and, and letting people know about it, it would help us. And I'm sure it would be helping helpful to you as well. And it sort of encourages the person and reminds them to share it with their social media followers. You can even put uh, a link or a button <laughs> in the uh, email to, I don't do this, but I, I know I've seen some people do it. Uh, do, you know, if you'd like to share it on Twitter, click here. If you want to put it on Facebook, click here. And you know, really sort of the call to action. I think that's a little more uh, aggressive than I like to be about it. I want my, my interviews to, to share the episode because they want to, because they're happy about having done the interview and not because I sort of coerced it from them. Now, once you have finished all of this and sent a thank you and published the episode, your work isn't really done. You should probably promote it yourself in social media and, and, uh, on obviously on your blogs and so on. You want to, um, you know, do it several times during the following, I don't know, week or so just to, uh, you know, get the word out there. You're trying to help the person who did the interview, uh, who was kind enough to help you as well. And with any luck, you'll start to see your, um, your influence and your followers increase and uh, you'll get some benefit from doing the interview. 
And that's just about it for this episode of the Law Podcasting Podcast. If you are interested in starting a podcast for your practice and uh, would like to find a little more information, please jump on over to lawpodcasting.com where you can access our free video series and get our ultimate startup guide for podcasters and find out more about the Power Podcasting for Lawyers course. And until next time, keep on podcasting. Podcasting.